Chapter Thirty of K. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. K. By Mary Roberts Reinhardt. Chapter Thirty. K. Was being very dense. For so long had he considered Sidney as unattainable that now his masculine mind, a little weary with such wretchedness, refused to move from its old attitude. "'It was glamour, that was all, Kay,' said Sidney bravely. "'But perhaps,' said Kay, "'it's just because of that miserable incident with Carlotta. That wasn't the right thing, of course, but Max has told me the story. It was really quite innocent. She fainted in the yard and—' Sidney was exasperated. "'Do you want me to marry him, Kay?' Kay looked straight ahead. "'I want you to be happy, dear.' They were on the terrace of the White Springs Hotel again. Kay had ordered dinner, making a great to-do about getting the dishes they both liked. But now that it was there, they were not eating. Kay had placed his chair so that his profile was turned toward her. He had worn the duster religiously until nightfall, and then had discarded it. It hung limp and dejected on the back of his chair. Past Kay's profile, Sidney could see the magnolia tree shaped like a heart. "'It seems to me,' said Sidney suddenly, "'that you are kind to everyone but me, Kay.' He fairly stammered his astonishment. "'Why, what on earth have I done?' "'You are trying to make me marry Max, aren't you?' She was very properly ashamed of that, and when he failed of reply out of sheer inability to think of one that would not say too much, she went hastily to something else. It is hard for me to realize that you, that you lived a life of your own, a busy life doing useful things before you came to us. I wish you would tell me something about yourself. If we're to be friends when you go away... She had to stop there for the lump in her throat... I'll want to know how to think of you, who your friends are, all that. He made an effort. He was thinking, of course, that he would be visualizing her in the hospital, in the little house on its side street, as she looked just then, her eyes like stars, her lips just parted, her hands folded before her on the table. I shall be working, he said at last. So will you. Does that mean you won't have time to think of me? I'm afraid I'm stupider than usual tonight. You can think of me as never forgetting you or the street, working or playing. Playing! Of course he would not work all the time, and he was going back to his old friends, to people who had always known him, to girls. He did his best then. He told her of the old family house, built by one of his forebears who had been a king's man until Washington had put the case for the colonies, and who had given himself and his oldest son then to the cause that he made his own. He told of old servants who had wept when he decided to close the house and go away. When she fell silent, he thought he was interesting her. He told her the family traditions that had been the fairy tales of his childhood. He described the library, the choice room of the house, full of family paintings in old gilt frames, and of his father's collection of books. Because it was home, he waxed warm over it at last, although it had rather hurt him at first to remember. It brought back the other things that he wanted to forget. But a terrible thing was happening to Sidney. 
Side by side with the wonders he described so casually, she was placing the little house. What an exile it must have been for him! How hopelessly middle-class they must have seemed! How idiotic of her to think for one moment that she could ever belong in this new old life of his! What traditions had she? None, of course, save to be honest and good and to do her best for the people around her. Her mother's people, the Kennedys, went back a long way, but they had always been poor. A library full of paintings and books. She remembered the lamp with the blue silk shade, the figure of Eve that used to stand behind the minister's portrait, and the cherry bookcase with the encyclopedia in it, and beacon lights of history. When Kay, trying his best to interest her and to conceal his own heaviness of spirit, told her of his grandfather's old carriage, she sat back in the shadow. "'Fearful old thing,' said Kay. "'Regular cabriolet. I can remember yet the family rows over it. But the old gentleman liked it, used to have it repainted every year. Strangers in the city used to turn around and stare at it, thought it was advertising something.' When I was a child, said Sidney quietly, and a carriage drove up and stopped on the street, I always knew someone had died. There was a strained note in her voice. Kay, whose ear was attuned to every note in her voice, looked at her quickly. My great-grandfather, said Sidney, in the same tone, sold chickens at market. He didn't do it himself, but the fact's there, isn't it? Kay was puzzled. What about it? he said. But Sidney's agile mind had already travelled on. This Kay she had never known, who had lived in a wonderful house and all the rest of it. He must have known numbers of lovely women, his own sort of women, who had travelled and knew all kinds of things. Girls like the daughters of the executive committee, who came in from their country places in summer with great armfuls of flowers, and hurried off, after consulting their jewelled watches, to luncheon or tea or tennis. "'Go on,' said Sidney dully. "'Tell me about the women you have known, your friends, "'the ones you liked and the ones who liked you.' "'Kay was rather apologetic. "'I've always been so busy,' he confessed. "'I know a lot, but I don't think they would interest you. "'They don't do anything, you know. "'They travel around and have a good time. "'They're rather nice to look at, some of them. "'But when you've said that, you've said it all.' "'Nice to look at?' of course they would be with nothing else to think of in all the world but of how they looked suddenly sidney felt very tired she wanted to go back to the hospital and turn the key in the door of her little room and lie with her face down on the bed would you mind very much if i asked you to take me back he did mind he had a depressed feeling that the evening had failed and his depression grew as he brought the car around he understood he thought she was grieving about Max. After all, a girl couldn't care as she had for a year and a half and then give up a man because of another woman without a wrench. Do you really want to go home, Sidney, or were you tired of sitting there? In that case, we could drive around for an hour or two. I'll not talk if you'd like to be quiet. Being with Kay had become an agony now that she realized how wrong Christine had been and that their worlds, hers and Kay's, had only touched for a time. Soon they would be separated by as wide a gulf as that which lay between the cherry bookcase, for instance, and a book-lined library hung with family portraits. But she was not disposed to skimp as to agony. 
she would go through with it every word a stab if only she might sit beside kay a little longer might feel the touch of his old gray coat against her arm i'd like to ride if you don't mind kay turned the automobile toward the country roads he was remembering acutely that other ride after joe in his small car the trouble he had had to get a machine the fear of he knew not what ahead and his arrival at last at the roadhouse to find max lying at the head of the stairs and carlotta on her knees beside him k yes was there anybody you cared about any girl when you left home i was not in love with anyone if that's what you mean you knew max before didn't you yes you know that if you knew things about him that i should have known why didn't you tell me i couldn't do that could i anyhow yes i thought everything would be all right it seemed to me that the mere fact of your caring for him that was shaky ground he got off it quickly schwitter has closed up do you want to stop there not to-night please they were near the white house now schwitter's had closed up indeed the sign over the entrance was gone the lanterns had been taken down and in the dusk they could see tilly rocking her baby on the porch as if to cover the last traces of his late infamy, Schwitter himself was watering the worn places on the lawn with the garden can. The car went by. Above the low hum of the engine they could hear Tilly's voice, flat and unmusical, but filled with the harmonies of love as she sang to the child. When they had left the house far behind, Kay was suddenly aware that Sidney was crying. She sat with her head turned away, using her handkerchief stealthily. He drew the car up beside the road, and in a masterful fashion turned her shoulders about until she faced him. "'Now tell me about it,' he said. "'It's just silliness. I'm—I'm I'm a little bit lonely.' "'Lonely? Aunt Harriet's in Paris, and with Joe gone and everybody. Aunt Harriet!' He was properly dazed for sure. If she had said she was lonely because the cherry bookcase was in Paris, he could not have been more bewildered and joe and with you going away and never coming back i'll come back of course how's this i'll promise to come back when you graduate and send you flowers i think said sidney that i'll become an army nurse i hope you won't do that you won't know kay you'll be back with your old friends you'll have forgotten the street and all of us do you really think that girls who have been everywhere and have lovely clothes and who won't know a tea bandage from a figure eight there will never be anybody in the world like you to me, dear. His voice was husky. You are saying that to comfort me. To comfort you? I, who have wanted you so long that it hurts even to think about it. Ever since the night I came up the street, and you were sitting there on the steps. Oh, my dear, my dear, if you only cared a little. Because he was afraid that he would get out of hand and take her in his arms, which would be idiotic since, of course, she did not care for him that way. He gripped the steering wheel. It gave him a curious appearance of making a pathetic appeal to the windshield. "'I have been trying to make you say that all evening,' said Sidney. "'I love you so much that—' "'Kay, won't you take me in your arms?' "'Take her in his arms?' He almost crushed her. He held her to him and muttered incoherencies until she gasped. It was as if he must make up for long arrears of hopelessness.' He held her off a bit to look at her, as if to be sure it was she and no changeling. 
and as if he wanted her eyes to corroborate her lips. There was no lack of confession in her eyes. They showed him a new heaven and a new earth. It was you always, Kay, she confessed. I just didn't realize it. But now, when you look back, don't you see it was? He looked back over the months when she had seemed as unattainable as the stars, and he did not see it. He shook his head. I never had even a hope. Not when I came to you with everything. I brought you all my troubles, and you always helped. Her eyes filled. She bent down and kissed one of his hands. He was so happy that the foolish little caress made his heart hammer in his ears. I think, Kay, that is how one can always tell when it is the right one, and will be the right one, forever and ever. It is the person one goes to in trouble. He had no words for that, only little caressing touches of her arm, her hand. Perhaps without knowing it he was formulating a sort of prayer that, since there must be troubles, she would always come to him, and he would always be able to help her. And Sidney, too, fell silent. She was recalling the day she became engaged to Max, and the lost feeling she had had. She did not feel the same at all now. She felt as if she had been wandering, and had come home to the arms that were about her. She would be married, and take the risk that all women took, with her eyes open. She would go through the valley of the shadow, as other women did, but Kay would be with her. Nothing else mattered. Looking into his steady eyes, she knew that she was safe. She would never wither for him. Where before she had felt the clutch of inexorable destiny, the woman's fate, now she felt only his arms about her, her cheek on his shabby coat. I shall love you all my life, she said shakily. His arms tightened about her. The little house was dark when they got back to it. The street, which had heard that Mr. Lemoyne approved of night air, was raising its windows for the night and pinning cheesecloth bags over its curtains to keep them clean. In the second-story front room at Mrs. McKee's, the baritone slept heavily and made diverse, unvocal sounds. He was hardening his throat, and so slept with a wet towel about it. Down on the doorstep, Mrs. McKee and Mr. Wagner sat and made love with the aid of a lighted match and the pencil pad. The car drew up at the little house, and Sidney got out. Then it drove away, for Kay must take it to the garage and walk back. Sidney sat on the doorstep and waited. How lovely it all was! How beautiful life was! If one did one's best by life, it did its best, too. How steady Kay's eyes were! She saw the flicker of the match across the street and knew what it meant. Once she would have thought that that was funny. Now it seemed very touching to her. Katie had heard the car, and now she came heavily along the hall. A woman left this for Mr. K, she said. If you think it's a begging letter, you'd better keep it until he's bought his new suit tomorrow. Almost any moment he's likely to bust out. But it was not a begging letter. Kay read it in the hall, with Sidney's shining eyes on him. It began abruptly. I'm going to Africa with one of my cousins. She is a medical missionary. Perhaps I can work things out there. It is a bad station on the West Coast. I am not going because I feel any call to the work, but because I do not know what else to do. You were kind to me the other day. I believe if I had told you then, you would still have been kind. I tried to tell you, but I was so terribly afraid. 
If I caused death, I did not mean to. You will think that no excuse, but it is true. In the hospital, when I changed the bottles on Miss Page's medicine tray, I did not care much what happened. But it was different with you. You dismissed me, you remember. I had been careless about a sponge count. I made up my mind to get back at you. It seemed hopeless. You were so secure. For two or three days, I tried to think of some way to hurt you. I almost gave up. Then I found the way. You remember the packets of gauze sponges we made and used in the operating room? There were twelve to each package. When we counted them, as we got them out, we counted by packages. On the night before I left, I went to the operating room and added one sponge every here and there. Out of every dozen packets, perhaps, I fixed one that had thirteen. The next day I went away. Then I was terrified. What if somebody died? I had meant to give you trouble, so you would have to do certain cases a second time. I swear that was all. I was so frightened that I went down sick over it. When I got better, I heard you had lost a case, and the cause was being whispered about. I almost died of terror. I tried to get back into the hospital one night. I went up the fire escape, but the windows were locked. Then I left the city. I couldn't stand it. I was afraid to read a newspaper. I am not going to sign this letter. You know who it is from. And I am not going to ask your forgiveness or anything of that sort. I don't expect it. But one thing hurt me more than anything else the other night. You said you'd lost your faith in yourself. This is to tell you that you need not. And you said something else, that anyone can come back. I wonder... Kay stood in the hall of the little house with the letter in his hand. Just beyond, on the doorstep, was Sidney, waiting for him. His arms were still warm from the touch of her. Beyond lay the street, and beyond that lay the world and a man's work to do. Work and faith to do it, a good woman's hand in the dark, a providence that made things right in the end. "'Are you coming, Kay?' "'Coming,' he said." and when he was beside her, his long figure folded to the short measure of the step, he stooped humbly and kissed the hem of her soft white dress. Across the street, Mr. Wagner wrote something in the dark and then lighted a match. So Kay is in love with Sidney Page after all, he had written. She is a sweet girl, and he is every inch a man. But to my mind, a certain lady... Mrs. McKee flushed and blew out the match. Late September now on the street, with Joe gone and his mother eyeing the postman with pitiful eagerness, with Mrs. Rosenfeld moving heavily about the setting up of the new furniture, and with Johnny driving heavenly cars, brake and clutch legs well and strong. Late September, with Max recovering and settling his tie for any pretty nurse who happened along, but listening eagerly for Dr. Ed's square tread in the hall, with Tilly rocking her baby on the porch at Schwitter's, and Carlotta staring westward over rolling seas, with Christine taking up her burden and Grace laying hers down, with Joe's tragic young eyes growing quiet with the peace of the tropics. The Lord is my shepherd, she reads, I shall not want. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Sidney, on her knees in the little parlor, repeats the words with the others. Kay has gone from the street, and before long she will join him. 
with the vision of his steady eyes before her she adds her own prayer to the others that the touch of his arms about her may not make her forget the vow she has taken of charity and its sister service of a cup of water to the thirsty of open arms to a tired child end of chapter 30 end of k by mary roberts reinhardt